everyone. Welcome to the MRP Tech Podcast. This is episode 195. My name is Matt, and this is the podcast discussing everyday tech for everyday people. Thank you so much for listening in and sticking with me through this little hiatus that I have taken over the last few months. I want to talk to you all today about a project I have been working on since last July. And it all started in my hometown where several times a day I'm, I'm usually out for a walk, especially last summer, uh, enjoying the, the weather, that type of thing. And to give you a little bit of background, those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a very long time know that when I research something, I usually deep dive into a, a certain topic, especially if it's a topic that is uh, of extreme interest to me. And um, I sort of get fixated. I sort of will will exhaust every aspect that I can think of to find solutions for what I'm working on. So one of the great things about this podcast was that I was always sort of interested in doing this podcast as a, a way to become a better public speaker. And uh, for a long time, I was self-conscious of my ands and uhs and, and that type of thing as I tend to speak. And I'm really bad at it still. But at the same time, I have uh, come to learn and develop skills that I had no idea that I even had. And so... I'm going to start talking a little bit about my hometown, and I know some of my listeners in other parts of the the world, you, you may not understand some of the things that I'm talking about uh, as far as local landmarks and that type of thing, but at the same time, you can approach it from where you live and, and put it in perspective of your hometown. I mean, when you really think about it, little towns you know, across the country have all sorts of history depending on when they were founded and how they were built and what events took place close by, etc. And the town that I live in is a very historic hometown because it is centrally located um, in upstate New York, it served as the gateway to the Adirondack Mountains and once was known as the gateway to the Adirondack. But being very close to Lake Champlain and Vermont, it was a connector to uh, another state, and we're very close to the Canadian border as well. So there's a lot of history in this area, and in my hometown, there was a lot of mills, and there was a lot of factories in the 1800s, and basically our town is divided into two sections by a river, and this river is called the Alsable River. Now, on the, the northern side of the river is Clinton County, and the southern side of the river is Essex County. And with the two counties, there are also two townships, and there are two regions that are controlled by the Department of Transportation. And in Keysville, one of the things that we are most known for is our historical bridges, we have six of them in a, a relatively close uh, proximity, but they are all in specific areas that are very important uh, to traffic and tourism and business and economy and, and um, that sort of thing. So 
our oldest bridge is a stone arch bridge. It was built in 1942. Not, excuse me, not 1942, 1842. And one of the most historic bridges uh, in the area, one of the oldest bridges in the area, and still used today uh, for traffic, still open today uh, for uh, people to, has two sidewalks on both sides for people to admire the river. And just upstream from that is an 1888 pedestrian bridge. And now this pedestrian bridge served as a connector for each side of the river, members of uh, the town to walk to work or to walk across the bridge and go up a set of stairs to the local church, that type of thing. It's still used every day to every day by, by the locals to... Uh, um, get to the downtown area for shopping or uh, just just walking through town. Now, this particular bridge in 1888 is where my story all starts. You see, last summer, I was sort of walking across uh, this particular bridge and thinking about all of the other historic bridges in our area. And uh, two of them in particular have been closed for almost 15 years now. And these particular bridges, I had always heard that they were historic bridges, and I, I really didn't know what that meant. I, I was, I'm always somebody who has admired history, but at the same time, I, I really had no idea what a, uh, what it meant when something was on the National Historic Registry, or excuse me, National Registry of Historic Places, and I, I didn't understand the significance of that. And never really took the time to understand. So these two bridges uh, have been closed for 15 years. And I was walking across our pedestrian bridge, which is also a historic bridge, and started realizing the condition of this bridge is not really in all that great a shape. Uh, almost has no paint at all. Um, the the walkway had some damage to it. There were trees growing up in between some of the um the suspension cables and realized that these trees, if they number one kept growing or number two fell over onto the suspension cable, that it would pretty much wipe out the bridge. So I started thinking about the connections that I have in my own personal life and being able to communicate things to, to certain people. And one of our bridges known as the old state road that has been closed for 15 years is located near one of the largest tourist attractions in our area. Just so happens to be um, that I work there in the summertime and I've had worked there since 2003. So I have the experience of seeing all of these people who travel from out of our area, from all over the world, uh, you know, from Canada to uh, England and Turkey, Russia, China, anywhere you can imagine, I've met people who have come to this tourist attraction to um, take a walk and take a hike through this two-mile-long canyon and experience what our area has to offer. And one of the last things that these people see at the end of the, their tour, they, they take a bus ride back up to the Welcome Center, and they're dropped off right at this bridge that is closed off. And it's one of the last things that they see of our area. 
And that always sat kind of funny with me because it sets a tone for our area and it shows people that things haven't been taken care of in our area. So with that knowledge of, of everybody that I talked to at that tourist attraction coming up to me and asking specifically how to get to that bridge because they want to see it. Uh, it happens every day. And I explained to them the bridge has been closed, but you can walk up to it and you can uh, see what it looks like, but you can't go on it. And that's always disappointing to me. And so here I am standing on this pedestrian bridge and realizing that through this podcast, I have a way of, of communicating certain things um, through my music business that I run. I have a way of promoting things and making connections and through this work at the tourist attraction, I have this admiration of history because it's one of the oldest tourist attractions as well in New York. And I've appreciated the history of that particular place and and other things locally as well, but never really um, did anything as far as research and local history that uh, meant anything to a local community. So once again, I, I... started realizing that I have the ability to make a little bit of noise and drum up some interest in these bridges because for over a decade I had been interested in them myself and from what I had gathered is that these bridges were originally going to be restored and basically uh, through through a, a whole lot of different scenarios they have Uh, all failed to uh, have that action done. So standing on this pedestrian bridge that was currently open, I decided, you know, if, if I don't say anything, this bridge, the one that's open, is going to be the one that closes within a few years. And this was just an assumption that I had. So I, I, the first thing I did is I sent an email to the town supervisors. Now there's on each side of the river, there's a town supervisor. And I I basically just said, I don't know if anybody has noticed, but there's, there's a lot of trees growing up through this historic bridge. And if, if something really isn't done about it, uh, you know, this bridge is going to be the next one to close. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm sort of starting to think that I, I might want to try to see if we can save our closed bridges and 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 see what we can do to to open them up. And that's when it sort of happened that I got fixated on this particular uh, group of bridges. Now, each one of our bridges, they are on the National Registry of Historic Places. And what I didn't realize is that they are also National Civil Engineering Landmarks, which is much more notable. So each of them separately are historic bridges, but as a group together, they are even more important. And they tell a history of our town. um, And they also sort of explain a the experimental and developmental period of civil engineering. And what I didn't realize as I started digging into these bridges was that these bridges are known across the country by civil engineers. So starting 
a little farther upstream from where I was standing is something that we call the upper bridge. Now the upper bridge is a 214 foot long uh, double span Pratt truss bridge and it was built in 1878. Now if you don't know anything about engineering that's okay but just know that um, truss bridges specifically are very similar to covered bridges and in historic value and these particular bridges were built to um, carry things like cattle across bridges for for farmers they were built for railroad cars they were built for a specific purpose now this particular bridge was built in 1878 it is the longest and the oldest double span pratt truss bridge in new york now what makes this bridge unique and there's a, actually a lot of things that makes this bridge unique. And I'm going to put links to the show notes to the um, historicalbridges.org website where it's a catalog of historic bridges worldwide. So this particular bridge was made by the Murray Dougal and Company uh, of Milton, Pennsylvania in 1878. Now what's notable about this is that Murray Dougal and Company actually built railroad cars and they started expanding their business to build bridges and they built um, several types of bridges and they were all built in a factory and then sent to the location and, and then put together and assembled and this factory burned down and the company survived but they never went back to building bridges after and this particular bridge if you are from our hometown, many people don't understand um, the design of the bridge. There are some creative elements on the, the truss, and it has an overhead uh, section. Uh, so it's a through truss, which is which is rare in itself. And when you drive through it, many people remember uh, years ago when it was open uh, that the decking that was on the bridge was very loud, and it would, would sort of sing to you as you went across the bridge. But many people just thought of it as an old bridge. So this isn't just a historic bridge. Uh, first of all, it's not an old bridge. It's, it's, uh, it's not just an old bridge. It's not just a historic bridge. It's not just any national historic bridge. It's a civil engineering landmark. And with the research that I've been doing over the last eight months, we've discovered that this is the last remaining through truss bridge built by the Milton, um, the Murray Dougal and Company, uh, out of Milton, Pennsylvania. It's the last remaining bridge of its type in the world. And that sh should have some significance. Uh, and we're trying to to uh, show its significance. Now, we've, over the last eight months, I have contacted civil engineers all across the country. And every single one of them that I come in contact with they tell me they're aware of this bridge and either they have visited this bridge or they have been making plans to visit this bridge because of the uh, the decorations that were built, the, the sort of TLC that was put in uh, to the bridge by the builders. And they've sort of left their stamp, their their trademark, their their um, whatever you want to call it there they left their calling card on the bridge and there's lots of little designs that are unique to this bridge and specifically civil engineering now this bridge 
was originally slated at uh, a weight limit of about six tons. And over time, as the bridge aged, it was, it was put down to three tons, and then eventually the bridge was closed. Now, the issues of the bridge was that the bridge abutments um, were scoured by, by uh, flooding and just years of abuse by, you know, things coming down the river, trees, whatever, whatever you want. And the decking needs some work. The bridge itself is in, is in really good condition, considering the fact that it was built in 1878 out of wrought iron. And you will see rust on the bridge, but wrought iron itself does not rust. It just sort of creates a patina on top of the, the iron itself. So the, the structure is relatively good. And I've been talking with engineers across the country, and especially those that do historical rehabilitation or restoration. And basically, these engineers tell me that if a bridge is standing, it can be restored. Now, this is a one-lane bridge, and the issues are are put out by the county. So on each side of the river, there's two counties, and one county owns the bridge, and maintenance is sort of split 50-50 between two counties. So we have two counties involved, two towns involved, and two Department of Transportation areas that are involved. And any time that politics are involved, um, it makes things very difficult to do. On top of that comes regulations from uh, DOT. And the current New York State uh, Department of Transportation regulations uh, and, and, and even U.S. Department of Transportation regulations is that new bridges should have no weight limit on them. And they should be able to hold uh, technically 80,000 pounds or uh, 40, 40 tons. So the idea of an old bridge to someone who works in the highway department is that um, close them down, tear them out, and build a new bridge. Well, unfortunately, building new bridges is very expensive. So in a lot of cases, these old bridges get torn down and never replaced. Now, going back to the research that I've come across, if you take one of these old bridges, a lot of times engineers, especially in rural areas, are unaware of just how much weight that these bridges can hold. And speaking with civil engineers across the country, um, it's very likely that these bridges can be restored and can hold a tremendous amount of weight. And so one of the biggest things with this bridge is we wanted to be able to reopen it because there's an intersection in our downtown area that ever since this bridge was closed has just been overwhelmed. And there's been some issues with um, things like ambulances and fire departments. When Hurricane A. Irene came through, our other bridges were, were closed down. And the one that I'm talking about, the upper bridge, uh, that has been closed for 15 years, sits higher than those bridges and would have remained open and would have allowed ambulances to go across had it been taken care of. Now, these that's what our goal is, is to raise that weight limit so that an ambulance can go across. And we have researched this over the last eight months and, and found that, yes, the weight limits can be brought up to up to 12 to 15 tons, which for this bridge, it's, it sits in directly in the center of our town. 
and it's on two side roads. So it's not like it's it's going to get highway traffic or big rig traffic or anything like that. But it is a vital and important route, uh, connector route between the two sides of each town. So what I've been doing over the last eight months as I, f- I first started with the, the local towns and I got their support. They passed resolutions to uh, be in favor of saving these bridges. And that was the first step. The next step was to see what the community response was going to be. So I put out a petition to try and get the community involved. And it turns out that 98% of the community um, are in favor of restoring these bridges. In fact, a lot of people are very passionate about it. Now, there are a few people that have some concerns like traffic concerns or they live close by to the bridge and I'm trying to work with them and, and, and reassure them that, um, you know, how important these bridges are, why they're important and the reason why they're there and um, try to try to just um, keep any negativity out of it and, and just kind of reinforce that uh, these are historical bridges that have been there for a really long time and they're important. So this upper bridge, um, we, we've, we've done in, in November, we had the local PBS station um, come and do a story. They did an incredible job. It had over 7,000 views within the first 24 hours on Facebook. And that kind of shows you how important that these particular bridges are. And we also had our local NBC station do an article or, uh, uh, excuse me, an, a story in September, I believe. And... Every time that we have sort of brought this up last fall, the response from the county was, um, can you can you put this off a little bit? Uh, COVID is a big deal right now, and we're kind of, our hands are tied with, with COVID. And so being respectful, I didn't want to upset anybody. I didn't want to do it. So we, we put this off, and, and I put it off until November. The numbers were okay, but they weren't great. So I said, okay, let's, let's come back in January and really start pushing in January. And even by January, the numbers weren't, weren't great. So uh, again, they were asking, can you put this off a little longer? Um, and I said, okay, we're going to wait till April, and, and then we're going to push hard. And so here's the thing about this particular bridge, the upper bridge, is that at one point in time, grant funding was was awarded to restore this bridge. It was a $2 million grant. It was awarded and it covered 80% of the cost, split the rest of the cost, the remaining 20% between two counties, 10% of the cost would have been responsible for each county. One county wanted to do it, the other did not, and then the project died over 10%. And the community wanted, the counties were in favor of it being, one county was in favor of being restored, and then it just died. The grant money had to be returned, and then the bridge sat um, uh, untouched. So basically, um, all this time, everybody thought something was happening, and nothing was being done. So it sat for over 10 years with nothing done to it. And then rumors started going around that this bridge was going to be demoed. And that didn't sit well with a lot of people. It was it was sort of uh, not talked about by really anybody. Even the town uh, officials were not made aware that this was going to happen. But it turned out it was on the agenda to be demoed. COVID hit and that sort of put the end of that. Uh, funding was not available. So uh, here comes our project. We've asked them not to demo the bridge. They have said that they, they were supposed to write me a letter saying that they weren't going to demo the bridge, and they have not done that. But they have said that they won't 
won't do that. Um, so, so there, that's that. So basically we stopped the, the bridge from being demoed and the engineers that I have talked to have said, once again, if a bridge is standing, it can be restored. They gave me an example of a bridge that had collapsed and was washed a thousand yards downstream, mangled to a, a giant mess of steel. And that bridge was able to be restored and re, and put back onto its um, abutments and reopened. And that shows you what can be done to these types of historic bridges. And so where's where does the problem lie? So with this particular bridge and, and really all of our bridges, um, it's it's getting grant funding. And if it, if there was a local nonprofit organization that could apply for the bridges, uh, money for the bridges, it would have already been done. We have nonprofit organizations that are in full support. We actually have several uh, nonprofit organizations that are in full support of our project. The problem is that the, the bridges are owned by a specific county and they need to instruct their grant writing teams to research grants and not only research grants, but put in the extra time, put in the extra work and make it happen. Now, there are all sorts of other funding opportunities. For example, there was a infrastructure program passed in New York. $310 billion worth of infrastructure. Uh, there was federal infrastructure money that was made available. And with that, um, there's even more federal infrastructure money coming, coming down the line eventually. Uh, there was $96 million in funding for something called Bridge New York for our specific area in New York. There's something called CHIPS money, which is used for roadways and ditches and that type of thing and bridges in each county. The, the county highway departments say, please don't take our funding for our other projects that are quote unquote more important. Please don't take that funding and use it on your bridge. They could use that funding, but they ha that would take away from other projects. So there's another bridge in another town that has... Um, potentially more traffic right now that needs restoring. And it's, it's certainly understandable and it's, it's certainly a worthwhile um, thought. But this bridge was supposed to be restored 10 years ago and it should be a priority based on all of the history that I, I have sort of been talking about. And, and that's the conversation that, that I've been trying to push. It's not that there aren't other important things. It's that the counties really need to get involved and they need to put their research teams and grant teams and not have the work be coming from somebody like me, who's just part of the community. And there are um, preservation grants available. There's uh, transportation enhancements grants available. And we keep missing the cycles. There's federal funding that we're able to apply for. But once again, the counties have to apply for it. And they chose to um, apply for other things. One county particular wanted to apply for this federal funding um, through our congresswoman who they wanted to um, update some buildings on our um, new international airport, which is a completely reasonable thing to do. And it just seems like every single time there's a grant that's available, they apply that money for um, other things that they had in mind, which is certainly reasonable. They, they, they have a checklist of things that they want to go through. But at some point with 2,100 signatures uh, from both counties, Essex and Clinton County, 
and the growing number of businesses that support this cause, the countless letters of support from uh, New York State senators, assembly members, town officials, former mayors, the town supervisors, historical societies, uh, former governors, uh, the list goes on and on and on about how many people are in support of this. And it really stops dead at the county level. So this particular bridge, um, we have been working with a specific engineer who can sort of cut through red tape. And if, if they work with the county, um, go through the bidding process, and if they're awarded, they can make it very easy to fix this bridge. Basically, they come in, they pull the bridge out on a crane, they disassemble it, bring it to a warehouse, they go through the entire structure and fix any and all deficiencies. There's a three-step inspection process that happens when they do this. Um, they can be videoed the whole time if that's required. And um, basically, uh, they paint it in a warehouse with a three-layer painting process that will last 30 years without being faded. And um, they bring the bridge back, reassemble it, put it back on the new repaired abutments. And one of the things that they'll do is put a new decking on it that doesn't need to be salted. Um, so that prevents salt from going in the river and uh, getting onto the bridge, which is a big issue environmentally. And it'll be less noisy. And the idea being that, that uh, the new type of decking will also help increase the, the weight limit and the modern type of decking. There's a lot of things that are involved and I'm, I'm simplifying this, but basically the weight limit can be brought up. The bridge will be in a, in a restored condition and it'll be open for 30 to 50 years with very little maintenance. And it, they can do that at a much cheaper cost than building a new bridge. A new bridge would cost $8 million where this is quoted at one to $1.65 million by this particular company. So where does it stand? Once again, it's at the county level. Now this bridge, we've recently found out that the, the iron from this bridge was put out by a company in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and they had a, a Phoenix iron and steel company. And this particular company built a specific type of cannon in the, during the Civil War. They built 1,200 cannons. And after the Civil War, they melted those cannons down and used them for other projects. One of those other projects was bridges, and our bridge was built after the Civil War, and if you want to think about it, you know, the Civil War happens. They're not going to get rid of the cannons right away. And who knows how many years they're going to hold on to them after, after such events. Then they're going to decide that they want to recycle them and use them for other things. And these Civil War cannons, there was no testing to see how durable these cannons were. So they would use destructive testing. They would, they would um, test the cannons until they blew up. And so they were really durable. They were really strong uh, iron cannons. Afterwards, the iron was melted down, used for things like bridges. And so it's very likely that this particular bridge was, was built with, you know, partially with recycled Civil War cannons and most certainly built by Civil War veterans. And so there's another layer of history there. Um, the cannon part, I'm ha we, I mean, it, it's almost impossible, I would say, to, to prove 
you know, that this bridge specifically had, um, you know, recycled cannons in there. But, but it is, uh, it was brought to our attention by a historian and something that um, is very unique to think about. So um, that's our upper bridge. Now, going closer to our tourist attraction, we have the old State Road Bridge, which is a different type of truss bridge. It's called a pony truss bridge. Now, when I first look at this bridge, again, I had no idea, historically speaking, how important that bridge is was. In fact, I made the mistake at one point in time of saying, you know, I wouldn't really care if they put a new bridge in here. Um, This bridge sits on top of one of the nicest views in all of upstate New York. And um, people can't see that view from the sides of the bridges, but directly in the center, it's it's one of the most amazing views because it's sitting on top of a 75-foot waterfall. And it's it's basically at the beginning of a two-mile-long canyon. So, just looking at the bridge, I, I wasn't really um, impressed by it, I guess I would say, because I knew nothing about the bridges. And this particular bridge called the Old State Road Bridge was built somewhere between 1890 and 1900. And it's called a, a double span continuous Pony Pratt Trust Bridge. And what that means is that there are two spans that go across. So if you're thinking... Um, as, as the bridge starts, there's a center pier that holds the two different sections, but the, the top layer itself is made to look like one section all the way from the beginning to the other side of the bridge. Now, what's rare about that, uh, again, uh, this bridge is a mix of wrought iron and steel. And what's rare about this particular bridge, again, it's built during an experimental and developmental period. And the bridge itself there's only three remaining of this type in the world. Um, I, I should say four. Uh, we found one that's at the bottom of a reservoir currently. So that bridge isn't going to be uh, used anytime soon. The other two bridges are in nowhere near um, as nice of a bridge and nowhere near the um, the scenic area that this bridge is in. So this bridge specifically is a unique bridge, um, would say one of a kind, just because it's standing on top of a waterfall and, and, um, very, very rare. And all of these bridges that I've talked about, um, this historical bridges.org website that I'm going to share all the links on the website, there is no rating system for historical bridges being on the national registration national registry of historic places there's no rating system so these civil engineers from all over the world have gotten together and created their own rating system and it's a one to ten system these bridges in keysville are rated on nine out of ten now why is it not a ten out of ten because the ten uh, rating is reserved for monumental bridges like the Golden Gate Bridge or the Book Brooklyn Bridge, that type of thing. Those monumental bridges. Now, our bridges specifically, going from our Stone Arch Bridge to our pedestrian uh, suspension bridge to the upper bridge, which is a truss bridge, all of those tell a story about bridge development and leading up from an arch bridge to a suspension bridge to truss bridges. That shows an, a... a a um, evolution of engineering that led to all of those monumental bridges being built. So our bridges are rated as high as they can get, believe it or not, even though it's the nine out of 10 scale. And they're 
rated that way because of number one, being built out of wrought iron. Number two, the time period that they were built, the experimental period, their significance by themselves and as a group of bridges. So it they are truly unique individually and as a collection of bridges. So going back now to our old state road bridge being on top of a waterfall and again, split between two counties. This bridge in particular had some issues. It was going to be repaired. Uh, one county hired a engineer to come in and fix the bridge. The engineer wanted to do it a certain way and the county wanted to do it a different way. The engineer walked off the job and never, um, nothing was ever done from it. That's the story that I have been told about this bridge. And um, so we basically have had a bridge sitting closed for 15 years and it's never been done. If you look at the bridge and if you look down in between the decking of the bridge, you'll see section loss on, on the beams, meaning there are chunks of metal missing from the support beams. Now that looks terrifying from first at first glance. The engineers that I've talked to say that's a very easy fix. The metalwork is fairly standard. In fact, all of the restoration process for these bridges is fairly easy. And it's a matter of the, convincing the right people that these bridges are worthwhile. Now, we have done a lot of convincing over the last eight months, and we have made some progress. So I'm going to talk about that now. So I've said some negative things in the, in, in the last little bit, and I'm, I'm trying, again, trying to keep this as positive as I can be. But the idea is the county officials need to be on board with us and they need to work with us. They need to assign their grant writing teams to research this. Research it, not partially, but fully. And the idea is that um, we can get creative with the funding. If we can get some grant funding, that remaining 20% of the cost, we could do community fundraising. We can do events. We can use, we can get creative and, and come up with ways to help the counties. And the counties have their the biggest thing is we don't want to increase uh, the the cost of the taxpayers and and that's absolutely legitimate, but it can be done right, and we're not looking for all the bridges to be done all at once. However, if you're applying for federal funding, it's actually cheaper to bundle the bridge projects together and get the funding all at once. And so that's an important thing to remember that the United States Department of Transportation encourages bundling of these, these types of projects, it saves money in the long run. So what have we accomplished? Well, that pedestrian bridge that I, that this whole thing started out on the pedestrian bridge, um, which hadn't been inspected since 2014, there was a former, uh, highway department head in one County that got upset with other people in the other county and abandoned the bridge. That bridge sat untouched for from 2014 to 2021. And a group of students from RPI came in 2018 and did an informal bridge inspection. It's the first time it had been looked at since 2014. Their remarks was that if nothing was addressed between five and six years, that the bridge would likely, uh, those yellow flags that were brought up in 2014 would likely close the bridge down soon. So it needed paint, needed some minor work, very, very minimal things. And uh, recently we've encouraged the county and the county has responded. They are going to inspect the bridge, which is the first step towards 
towards um, re- restoring it. And so we thank them for that. That's that's movement. And any type of movement in the right direction, I've tried to send my praises for. So privately and publicly. Now, the whole reason for, um, we have a Facebook page set up. We, we I tried to um, use the change.org petition website as a way to inform the community of the progress and to eliminate the... Uh, rumor mill and just state the facts and state it from my opinion and state also what the the trouble we come across is and I reach out for help when when we need it and we kind of go from there so now going back to this tourist attraction bridge the old state road bridge on top of the waterfall we have recently convinced that county that owns that bridge to apply for uh, actually, they did this on their own, I should say, and then they told me they're applying for a grant to do a historical structure report on this bridge, which is an important first step towards restoration as far as a county is concerned. Um, in in our case, the engineer that we work with doesn't need that, um, but it, it's not something that is required by New York State, but it's sort of like standard procedure. So that historical structural report will say what needs to be done, and hopefully from there we can we can get the work done. So there's progress there. The upper bridge, there's no progress on. Um, we're working hard on it. And I've, I, what I've been trying to do is, is um, and get the, the folks at Essex County to, to work with us a little bit. And there seems to be slow progress. The Essex County Highway Department has been forwarding uh, the, the grant information to their research teams to take a look at. And we thank them for that. And and the idea why we're pushing so hard is because this is the grant season and we've already missed a couple of grants now and there's a couple of big ones coming up, um, usually June, July. And our whole community has, has printed yard signs and there's over 250 yard signs that are posted throughout our whole town. Basically, it says save our bridges and let's work together to find a solution. And we tried to word that specifically because we need the help from the counties and otherwise the project's dead if the counties don't get involved the project doesn't move our town supports it our town offices support it the community members support it businesses support it new york senators assembly members the list goes on and on historical societies i mentioned this earlier all in support of it and it's really only a few people that are in charge at a county that that stalls this project and it's our hope that we work together to find a solution those people you know they they have a lot to deal with the highway departments they have 150 bridges to deal with in a county and so i can see it's not their priority but it is our priority and and it's really funny because our town sits on the northern edge of one county and the southern edge of another county and both town supervisors on each side say because they we're in the extreme outer portion of each county, we tend to get forgotten about. So that's, that's that story. So um, I understand the situation. And at some point, it's going to have to be shown that these bridges, again, are not just old bridges, not just historical bridges. 
not just national historic bridges, not just civil engineering landmarks, but they're truly one-of-a-kind bridges. And there are no other bridges like them anywhere. They are valuable. Repairing and restoring these bridges will pay for itself in tourism. It can be... Um, something that a town or a nonprofit picks up and makes brochures, invites people to see, which brings in economy, which supports our businesses, keeps our businesses open, creating more money, more tax revenue for the counties. The bridges will pay for themselves. Um, in fact, I've, I spoke with an engineer who um, used to run the New York State Thruway um, Authority. He said, I can't believe that these haven't been restored already. The bridges will pay for themselves Um and, and he offered to help in any way that he possibly can. That's the type of, of attitude that we need to have with our local representatives. And the idea behind that is that we have so much support, so much support. And it's just encouraging the right people to really look at this and say, what is the right thing to do here? We're going to alleviate a traffic concern make the road safer. We're going to preserve history. We're going to right a wrong that was made a little over 10 years ago. We're going to show New York that we can make history by saving all of these historical structures. So let's save history. Let's right a wrong and let's make some history. Be the uh, sort of guinea pig for restoring these types of historical structures. Let's preserve our history rather than tear it down. And that is what is important here. And, you know, as much of a pain as that I am to, to you know, these county officials, it's, it's really not a personal thing because I don't really know these people. Um, I don't work with them. It's not my job. I have a really great job. I enjoy my job, what it is. It's not a personal thing. There's disagreements. But at the same time, I try to be just be positive and, and, and see it from their perspective, see the challenges and try to find ways to overcome them. Now, that's where my weakness is because I'm not in the know and they can tell me and they can make the connections and they can do the research and they can apply for the grants. And then once they get the grant funding, I can take care of the rest. I've got nonprofit organizations lined up to, to fundraise for the, all of this. I've got engineers. I've got the companies that will come in and restore it. I have done all the work. I've done all the research. I've shown all of the facts. I've presented all of the facts to the county. And each time the county has asked, asked for more, I've provided that additional information. And uh, whether it is the, uh, they wanted another engineer to, because they weren't convinced that the weight limit uh, was, was something that could be brought up. So I gave them four other engineers that could um, increase the, the, that shows that the, the bridges can be increased in weight limit. And so at some point, they're going to have to be the ones that take over. And I can only ask for their support. And this podcast is um, just sort of a preparatory podcast for me because I'm going to be speaking locally, hopefully, with a few different podcasts in our area and spreading the word. And just trying to get the word out about our community and our bridges and how vitally important they are, um, not only on a local level, but a national level. And they're worth saving, worth seeing. And for those of you that live way outside of our my area, you know, there are so many historic things worldwide, historic structures, whether you think they're Cold War era structures or bridges that were built 
hundreds of years ago that are still in its place in, in a meadow somewhere or even still being used today. And, and I think in, in, in places like, like Europe, I'm sure history is looked on more favorably in certain areas. And it's something we're trying to do is convince our area that um, history is important. And I've learned a whole lot about my area in this process. And I just kind of skimming the thing here. And what we're trying to do is work on those New York state regulations and, and find a way for everybody to work together. And we have tried literally everything from just making them pedestrian bridges, which turns out they're liabilities and we can't do, to memorial bridges, which we, we turns out that because they're wrought iron, we can't do, we can't put flowers on the bridges, that type of thing. Um, but we're making progress. And I thank everybody that is helping us. And I thank all of those town supervisors and county officials that uh, work with me on a nearly daily basis and listen to my crazy emails about crazy ideas. But that's exactly what they've asked me to do, come up with creative solutions. And some of my solutions are, are uh, way out there. For example, trying to find creative funding sources. Um, I emailed Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. You know, I knew that I wasn't going to get an answer, but it was a shot in the dark. And that's what is needed is our county officials to take those shots in the dark and hope that something sticks and not give up, not get frustrated with the project, not stall out at the last minute again. We need this to happen. We need these bridges to be restored because they are our heritage in our town. And if these bridges, uh, once these bridges were closed, it affected our towns drastically. Now's the time to restore that. There's a lot of really great things happening in our town. There's a lot of new businesses. There's a lot of uh, push to restore things. And um, whether it's historic buildings or historic houses or whatever, there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of people that care. They just don't know what they can do to help the people that can help are the people that are in the counties. And that is their job as either elected officials or appointed officials. If there's an issue in a specific town, find solutions. That's what they're there for. They get elected to do this. That's their job. Not my job, not other people's jobs, not nonprofit organizations. It's time to listen to the 2100 signatures. It's time to listen to all of the support and all of the letters that I, I have been posting nearly daily. Uh, and I still have more that I can post. So um, it's, it's, this is not a negative thing. It's not a, um, I have bad feelings towards these particular people. It's a matter of convincing them that this is the right thing to do. And slowly over time, it's happening. And I encourage all of those people who may not uh, <laughs> uh, particularly care for me after eight months of, of badgering uh, to really just take, take a second and realize that it's not me that's doing this. It's an entire community that has been expecting this to happen for 15 years. So there's a lot of people that have a lot of negativity built up over these types of situations. And we can't focus on those negative things. We have to focus on the positive things. And that's one of the things that I've talked to with the town board members, town supervisors. We can't focus on what happened, what failed 10 years ago. Opportunity is now. Let's get this done. Let's find a way 
let's find a solution by working together. And what better message can you send than that? And that's where I'm going to leave this podcast. We have uh, our historical bridges. Hopefully, if somebody's listening to this podcast, maybe I've inspired you to take on this type of endeavor in your hometown. And how cool would that be? You know, the the thing that I've always thought is, you know, if everybody took a few moments to make their world around themselves a little better, then the entire world would be a better place. And that's something that I live by as much as I can. So thanks so much for listening. This is a long podcast, but I, I and I, and you know, this podcast is generally technology focused, but if you really think about it, um, wrought iron bridges were a, a new technology in the 1800s and these were experimental. They had no idea what these bridges, well, actually they did have a very good idea of what these bridges could do. Um, and they've been standing well over a hundred years with very little, uh, as far as structural issues, minor maintenance has kept them open and, and that type of thing. It just really shows you what these engineers knew back during that time period. And some of those engineering skills have been lost over time, like hot riveting and that type of stuff. And that's what makes repairing these bridges so difficult. But there are companies, if you do the research, there are historical bridge restoration companies that know these skills that can do it. They can do it for cheaper. Maintaining a bridge, rehabilitating, restoring a bridge is far cheaper than a new bridge. Thank you all for listening. I will uh, try to get more frequent with my updates on, on the show. Um, you have, if you have listened to the past couple of episodes, you know what's happening and why I've needed a break. Um, but um, but uh, we're, we're looking onwards and upwards with, with that as well. So I appreciate your time and effort in listening to this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.